what I learned from that was before you get into any type of tangible investment, you need to do a lot of research, you need to study, you need to figure out your risk tolerance, not only from a short-term perspective, but from a long-term perspective. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. I'm Tunde Ogunlana. And we have as a special guest, uh, Mr. Michael Dean, who's a former NFL player, now serial entrepreneur, and want to talk to him about his experience. We have, we've been making a special emphasis during this time, this uncertainty of the coronavirus. It, it's affected many people, uh, people that, you know, Michael may have thought that they were protected. You know, you got, you've been that rookie athlete before, you know what it's like to uh, reach what it seems to be the pinnacle, your dream. You've reached it to the NFL. For others, you reached it to the NBA, something that very few people can dream of. Uh, you're going to be a millionaire for life. Life is beautiful. Then things happen as you don't expect, and the unexpected happens, and life happens. Um, and the unexpected has happened to a lot of people right now, including athletes who uh, don't know what or when or how much they're going to get because the future is uncertain and the times are uncertain. Take yourself back to that moment when you first got there, knowing it seemed like you had the world in front of you, and try to put yourself in the current position of athletes right now. And I think athletes are in the same position as many other people. What would you tell them right now based upon your experience, and how should we proceed? Well, first of all, Rob, and today, thank you so much for having me, man. It's been an honor to, to join you guys' platform. Um, that's a great question. And you know, when you really peel back to the initial dream of any professional athlete, from when they initially started that journey, that was part of the dream. Is I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna not only take care of myself financially for the rest of my life, but I'm also gonna provide the foundation to take care of my entire family for the rest of my life, right? So that's, that's part of the fuel that these athletes tap into on a daily basis. And so when I thought of, think about myself at that time period, and I was, you know, undrafted free agent rookie with the Carolina Panthers, so I didn't come into a, abundance of money, but I still had a thought process just the same of I'm going to make it, I'm going to make this money and I'm going to expand it to build generational wealth. And so, you know, when you are faced with the unknowns that we're currently facing, especially from a, from a, a professional athlete standpoint to where we call it the template, you declare for the draft, you get an agent, you get a financial advisor and the age old adage of you guys focus on the court or you guys focus on the field, we're gonna take care of everything else, immediately applies. And so for these professional athletes now that's going through these uncertain times without the knowledge of why, right? So they've dumped in a bunch of money that they've worked hard on, they've gotten a sign-on bonuses or what have you, and now you're hearing all of these jargons and terms and you're, you're overall portfolio is down 30% and you don't know why and you can't get a hold of your advisor. There's a lot of layers to it, right? So I think right now in the current state of a, of a, of a professional athlete, they're still trying to catch up and do finance one-on-one while they're live in these markets and the, in their, their lifelong dreams are being dwindled down considerably. And so when I think back to myself at that time period of not knowing what we're facing now, not even knowing that it was a possibility of having these things happen, it, it was very scary. You know, for myself, I majored in finance at the University of Illinois, so I had a little bit of a leg up. 
but for my constituents and my other colleagues, you know, they, they, they were blind. And I came into the league in 2000, you know, and we were quasi in a, in a, in a great or good economic, you know, position going all the way up and through when I retired, you know, in 2001. Fast forward to 2008, and we're facing the first, you know, economic recession. And I remember at that time, within the athlete world, real estate was really booming, right? Yeah. It was a really big, a you know, discussion in the locker room. Everyone was going to be the next real estate mogul. Yeah, and everybody, market, everybody, everybody, right? <laughs> you know, everybody. It's raining money. It's raining opportunity. We just just do it. Does this do it right? So even myself, even though I wasn't, you know, in the league. I had a, a, a abundance of athlete clients and friends, and you know I owned eight properties on my own, and you know each of my friends and clients owned multiple properties, and we were gonna be this huge real estate mogul. And then coming out of you know the recession um, in 2010, 11, it it taught me a lot, right? And so now we're, we're facing these times in 2018 to where with with a professional athlete that's just getting into the league they are really at a disadvantage not only before, before you get there i want to i want to dive into what you learned because i think there's a lot to take away yeah, from that i was gonna ask you same. yeah and i know tunde well, has some experience with this too i mean you look like you know we've had uh one of our uh, our, our top viewed show was with uh, robert green and he talked about how it's no matter how smart people are you're smart too um you know we find we find ourselves following the crowd uh, particularly when it's about not wanting to miss out on a chance to get rich. Isaac Newton fell for it in the, in the South Sea stock bubble. You can look at that old episode. It's a great episode with Robert Greene that we talked to him about. But, you know, you found yourself, I'm sure, caught up in it because a lot of us were. Talk about those lessons and what that can teach you because we're caught, we're, there, there's, a, there's a moment where people might overreact to or underreact in this moment too. I think that's where you're going. But I want to hear what you learned in the last uh, Great Recession. I learned a lot. And so like, that's a great point to Rob to where, you know, coming into the initial premise of building generational wealth, you want to have diversification, right? So as an athlete, we hear all these key phrases, diversification, and you want to have generational wealth. And, you know, you, you're throwing so many different phrases that you want to be a part of. And so, you know, at that time, real estate was booming. Um, I didn't really know much about residential real estate outside of buying and selling a home or owning a home as my primary. I didn't right. have a lot of knowledge as a real estate investor. Right. And so with that being said, I knew that I had some cash. I knew that there were opportunities out there. And from an athlete standpoint, we really try to thumb it down to one plus one equals two. And so it was sold to me that, hey, we're going to buy these homes at a discount. They're going to appreciate you're gonna sell it at a premium, you're gonna you're gonna make money, right? And so I was like, man, it sounds good to me. It's a tangible asset that that I can always, you know, it's a commodity that I can touch, I can feel, and it's an appreciation, appreciating asset. And so once that was sold to me, I I jumped all the way in. I went from not owning any homes to owning eight homes in the span of about three months. Right. right? And so I own homes in Charlotte, I own homes in Atlanta, I own homes in Chicago. Um, and I was, a, I was, I thought I was on my way. Little did I know coming down the, the threshold three and a half years later was this thing called a recession in a, in a, in a real estate bubble bursting, right? No one during that initial phase of the pitch 
told me that. They didn't say, hey, Michael, you know, you buy these homes in 2003, but in 2007, 2008, this thing is going to crash and you better be able to prepare for, you know, some down times during that time period, you know. And so when I was faced with those challenges in 2007, 2008, all those people that sold me the initial dream, they were gone. And I then had to educate myself on the laws, the protection, and also um, just how to get out where, where I am from a risk analysis perspective and, you know, figuring out where the bottom was going to be and, and then proceeding from there to just to protect my financial, you know, lifeline at the time. And so what I learned from that was before you get into any type of tangible investment, you need to do a lot of research, you need to study, you need to figure out your risk tolerance, not only from a short-term perspective, but from a long-term perspective. Right. Now, that's actually one of Warren Buffett's thing. He asked, like, he didn't invest in a lot of businesses that made a lot of money. And it's here, simple answer. He said, they said, well, why didn't you invest more? I can't remember if it was Apple or Google. He said, I didn't understand how they made their money, so I didn't invest. And so, like, it's not that it's not that uh, that wasn't a good investment. That's just an area that I don't understand, so I'm not going to invest in it. And there's uh, that's such good advice. It's like, if you're going to invest, this is your money. And I think... You know, it's not only professional athletes, but a lot of us were like, okay, we don't, we feel like we want to just turn ourselves over to the quote unquote professionals. But, you know, as you know, you know, turning it over to the professionals is, you know, you can, they don't always know what they're talking about either. One, and they're not always looking out for your best interests. And most importantly, Rob, with the athletes, we're normally thrown into the speculative deals. We're not thrown into the class A, you know, can't miss deals we're normally yeah. going into the ones that have high risk right and 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 hopeful returns and so high risk and hopeful knowing, returns <laughs> right you know not knowing that because you look at it from a overall hope is not a good strategy when it comes to finances we need we need some data <laughs> yeah and so that was the thing because normally with an athlete especially when you get to the respective leagues you're thinking just like every other part of your life when you walk into a restaurant you're ushered to the best table when you walk into the nightclub, you're ushered to the best table. You're getting the best, you know, physical um, regimens out there. You're getting, like, we're getting the best of everything, right? And so it's so weird that now when you go to the financial world of an athlete, you think because you're with the Morgans, you're with the UBSs, you're with the Goldmans, right? You're in their private wealth group, right? You're thinking like, yep, this is universal to everything else I'm, I'm receiving up, up until this point of, of having the top of the top. But when you really peel it back to its granular form, you are in the speculative deals. You're not in the deals where the primal information is being distributed so that you can make an educated decision. So you're really making tangible decisions with very limited information. And so like for myself, when I peel it back to those time periods of purchasing those real estate properties, if you would have had to ask me at the time, hey, Michael, you know, what's the average appreciation for those properties in that area per year? I didn't know, right? right? If you had to ask me, hey, you know, like what, what's the rental amount, average rental amount, or, you know, like infrastructure, like what are the things you need to be a successful landlord? I didn't know, right? Like all those things I learned on the fly once I signed that HUD statement and those closing documents. And so what, I, what it did to teach me though was coming out of it, was how to be immersely prepared for the next opportunities. And I knew that because I was a professional athlete, I understood 
with doors that 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 phrase right. opened up for me. And so I really started to sharpen my sword and making sure that I you know, use that platform to open those doors, but then also still educate myself before making those type of decisions moving forward. So how did you overcome though the you make a, you, the, the point you made earlier about having being an athlete and essentially when you're good early on, starting probably in middle school, people people give you preferential treatment. Absolutely right, and and I think with uh, and I'll say this with black men. Uh, they give us preferential treatment and sometimes lower the academic expectation. Absolutely. Like I've been in the room and I, I wasn't as good as you, but I've been in the room with people as good as you. <laughs> and, and I've heard, I had a coach even say that, you know, why are you taking these advanced classes? You need to just be focused on the game. I'm like, what in the hell? So my question, and then I want to jump to Tunde for a question. How did you overcome those, those, I guess, stereotypical expectations. We got the we got the bad deals a lot because of because of that that I mean racism still exists. The construct still exists. You can you can make money, but people still see you a certain way. Uh, you know, you're not on that level. You don't have that level. How do you work against fighting against those stereotypes in your own life so they don't actually play themselves out? Little did I know, Rob, when I was going through what I call my own personal journey was that I had an amazing infrastructure that I was able to walk into. And that infrastructure was, I'm the youngest of three. So I have an older brother who's seven years older than me. I have an older sister who's five years older than me. And they were amazing students. And so they, they put together a blueprint for me to follow without me even knowing it. And so they both majored in accounting um, at HBCU at Bethune-Cookman University. Um, my parents as well were both, you know, educated um, individuals. And so at the time, because I was born into that infrastructure, I didn't really know that that cocoon was built around me until I got into college. And like you mentioned, these other platforms or locker rooms, and I saw everyone else's infrastructure. And then as I got older, I was able to go back and really break it down and say, wow, I was really blessed to come from a two-parent household. My parents were married 50 years. I had an older brother and older sister. So when I would face those similar challenges, Rob, that you mentioned, and the coaches would come in and try to um, have us take lesser classes and not the magna classes and, you know, the basic math and basic science just to stay eligible, my parents and my brother and my sister was not having it. You know what I mean? And so they would be the ones, and I would be upset with them. Yeah. I want to be with my friends. You know what I mean? Why am I taking I get it? When everyone else is taking math one. You know what I yep. mean? And so... I would be upset because I wanted to be with my friends. I didn't want to stand out and be singled out, but they always had the, the, the fortitude to understand what was, what was coming ahead of me and understanding that at some point my athletic ability was going to wane. Yep. And at that time, my mind was going to have to pick it up. So at the time, I, when I started, at, I started playing football when I was five years old, right? I was 100% athlete and 0% quasi-businessman at that time. When I retired at 23, I was 0% athlete and 100% businessman. And I yeah. clearly understood. I had a lot of epiphanies in my short time period in the league of understanding that my time as an athlete was, was, was coming to an end. But I also had a smile on my face because the same energy and the same confidence that I had in my athletic ability, I had in my mind and in yeah. my, you know, business acumen moving forward. But it was mainly due to the, to my parents and my brother and my sister. And I think that's such an important I want to get to you too, and I want to say this really important point. I think we have to work harder 
to disrupt this with our youth, to tell them that no matter how good you are in athletics, absolutely, it's not going to work out for you long term if you don't develop this. I don't care how good you are. And you want to look at the great ones, the real great ones, like Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant made most of his wealth post, even though it wasn't even that long, right? So like people have to understand like developing your brain is not just it's not wasting your time as an athlete. It actually makes you a, a better athlete. It will make you more money. You can't you can't have one without the other because you don't develop that, you're not going to make it. When we see we see the we see this play out again and again. Adrian Peterson lost a hundred million dollars, and people, like you said, how can he do that? It's real easy if you're not developing a financial plan and mindset. If you just let oh, if you if you fall into the trap that you're special and that people are always going to take care of you, as soon as they don't need you, you're out. To bring that story to life, right? So my brother and my sister both graduated with an accounting degree, and so moving going into college, I'm getting recruited, you know, fairly heavily and. And college coaches are coming and they're asking me about, you know, what position I want to play and some of the things I like about their program. And then we would briefly talk to the academic counselor for about five minutes <laughs> through the whole process. And, uh, you know, the academic counselor would ask me, Michael, what do you want to major in? And I would say accounting. Now, if you would have to ask this next question to me, I didn't know. If you had to say, Michael, what is accounting? I didn't know that. I, like, I just knew that my brother and my sister was accountants and it, it's working for them, so it's gonna work for me, right? So with going into a business school in any university, that comes with a lot of responsibility, right? And so I can always tell, my parents can tell most importantly that when I would say that to a college coach, depending on which school they were representing, they would have a different type of reaction. If I'm saying that to a college coach that is expected to win 10, 11 games a year, he would have a different reaction than a, than a college coach that is expected to win five to seven to eight games a year. And so I was blessed to select the University of Illinois as my school of choice to go and pursue an academic and also athletic career within. And so I arrived on campus, you know, normally the freshmen have to go to football team in general have to arrive on campus for the fall semester about two to three weeks prior to school starting because we have to get ready for the season. Yeah. Freshmen normally arrive a week before the upperclassmen. And so I arrive on campus. We start practicing three days and so on and so forth. And so school is starting to get closer and closer as we're nearing Labor Day because school normally, you know, um, starts after Labor Day. So we're getting close to school. I would say it's about 10 days out before the first day of school. And my mom is asking me every time after, pri after practice that night, have I selected my classes yet? And I'm like, nope, I haven't selected any classes. No one's talked to me about any classes. I'm just practicing football. So the next day goes by and the next day goes by. And every night she asks me that question, right? So we get to the, we get to the Monday prior to school starting. So school is starting the following Monday. Same process. Michael, have you selected your classes yet? Nope. Tuesday. So we get to Friday. I walk in the locker room and I have a bunch of orange bags in front of my locker, plastic bags, right? It's about 10 of them. Me being an athlete, I'm thinking we were sponsored by Nike. This is our merch for the year. Right. So I'm thinking I'm about to get fresh Nike gear. I'm about to get some J's. I'm about to get some warm-ups. I'm like, okay, this is what the college lifestyle is about, right? So I look in the bag to my disappointment. I see books. 
<laughs> so I'm like, what is this? So I'm pulling out the books, looking at them, what have you, pulling out the syllabus, you know, looking at that reading. I pull out my class schedule. So then I get on the phone. I call my mom. I say, hey, mom, guess what? I actually got my class, my books today in my classes. She says, you got your books in your classes? I said, yeah. She says, well, did you select them? I said, no. She said, did you talk to everybody? I said, no. She says, how did you get them? I said, they were just here. So she says, okay. So she calls that, you know, with the power of sports, football and basketball, we have our own academic counselor. So she calls our academic counselor at the time. And she says, hey, Michael just mentioned that um, he received his syllabus and his class schedule and his books, but he never selected any of them. And so the academic counselor said, no, Mrs. Dean, with him being a true freshman, we select his classes for him and, you know, to, to help balance his transition to being a student athlete. Oh, wow. So my mom, understanding, she college, you know, educated individual, my brother, my sister going through the process. Her next question is, well, when he's done with these electives, what major is he going to be in? Like, what, what is these classes leading to? So she says, speech communications. 80% of our team was majored in speech comp, okay? My mom said, no, Michael wants to major in business. So she said, okay, that's fine. So she calls me upstairs, the academic counselor. She, said, she says, tells me to go and bring my books and everything. I bring my books to her. She, she makes a phone call, okay? The phone call is to the business school. She writes, she, says, she tells them who I am. She tells them what I want to do. She writes a name on a sticky note. She gives me the sticky note. She tells me to go talk to this guy over on the other side of campus. I go over there. I tell them who I am. I give them the sticky note. They make the transfer, you know, pull up my transcripts and everything. Everything checks out. And I, I tra get transferred over to the business school, which at the time, and I'm pretty sure it is now, University of Illinois has the top 10 business school in the country. Right. And so, you know, looking back now, my teammates always just look at me as an anomaly because I was one of the few, I think it was myself and another African-American through my tenure there that was majored in business. And we had 83 guys on scholarship. And so people would always look at me as an anomaly. Like, man, how are you performing being a, a, a starter on a Big Ten team but still majoring in finance and, you know, doing quite well for yourself. And so just to tell you that story, because it's that's such an important now, story. I mean, because you just bring up points that they were they made it easy for you to take the easy way out, but put a absolutely. barrier for you in order to in order to take business classes. So they want it. And most people are going to default to the path that, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Not not understanding everything that's not not not, not understanding that that's setting them up for uh a fall in the long term all they all they want them focused on is the short term which is why i have so many problems with how we 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 uh educate our athletes when they say they're going there for school it's a lie because half the time they just make sure they're going there to perform tune day to stay eligible so if it wasn't for my mom i would have fell right in line with the crowd yeah because i didn't know anything else and so just you know just a little quick little tidbit no so i think that's very important i'm glad you shared the story yeah, absolutely yeah, no, this is Mike. I thank you for sharing the story because, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are bringing back memories for me. I, obviously, we have a similar path, but um, not exactly the same. I never played professional sports, only college. And it was basketball, not football. So we only had 14 guys, not 83. 
But, um, but the journey is very similar in terms of, um, in my experience of, like you're saying, watching uh, friends of mine at the time being told what classes they were going to take and, and kind of just accepting that where guys like us didn't accept it and, and, um, and, and, and went for the harder challenge. Um, and there's a lot that can be unpacked with all that um, historically and, and how people are brought up and the education they get in elementary through high school and, and their confidence to be able to, to, to navigate the minefield of a university education system um, and then their family dynamics. I, and I appreciate you sharing about your family too, because it shows how important being in the right environment from day one is. Um, but share with us too, like, cause you're bringing out a lot of interesting things. I mean, there's, there's, I could see some young student athletes and young professional athletes watching something like this um, mm-hmm. and, and not yet understanding because a lot of the things you're talking about take experience. Even the professional athletes that I've worked with in the past from a wealth management standpoint, um, fortunately, by the time I've begun the relationship with them is because they already kind of got, quote unquote, burned somewhere mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit more ability, not only to trust, I mean, that has to be earned and built over time, the idea of trust, but more um, like the idea of not chasing everything. Because you bring up a good point where because guys are so young when they're get coming into this money, you know, most obviously professional athletes are probably in their early 20s yep. when they're getting these huge contracts. They don't yet have the life experience to know, number one, how to deal with kind of the shysters and how to spot them. Um, and number two, just to understand like a good business investment or, or, or the markets or anything like that. So one thing that I think you could help since you have such a broad experience from, uh, and I want to highlight this from you, not only um, having played professional sports, uh, been in the NFL, and then also a finance degree, but you're also a certified financial planner and you were a financial planner for many years. So I think you have a unique ability to kind of share with the audience um, like what, what should people look for when they're looking for an advisory team? Number one, and this is not just athletes. I mean, this is anyone yeah. watching just, you know, when you're selecting your attorney, your accountant, your financial advisor or financial planner, like what should they be looking out for? What questions should they be confident to be able to ask? Even if they don't feel they have a big command of finance or investments, there's still certain key questions that people could ask. And then, um, and then lastly, um, just your thoughts for, um, anyone like in today's world with, you know, it's April now we're dealing in 2020, we're dealing with the coronavirus issues. So have you seen a need to change any advice that you may have otherwise given someone that's younger, that's looking at how to build these advisory teams around them in this environment? Yeah. And, and that's, that's a great question to today. So I'll kind of peel it down and answer each of them in segments. You know, I think, from an advisor standpoint, one of the key things that an athlete should look for, but also anyone that's a, in the position of being a credit investor is initially in a, a relationship, right? Like, do, do you, or can you really see yourself having a relationship, not only with that firm, but with that individual advisor? Because as you well know, the pitch is to, to be where that person is going to be with you throughout your whole life cycle of your financial well-being, right? It's not a, a one-year decision. It's not a five-year decision. It's a 30 to 50-year decision. And a lot of times athletes condense it down or, or accredited investors condense that relationship down to a, a very granular form. 
and they need to expand it out to say, first of all, do I have a relationship or can I build a relationship with that person? Is that person or that entity educating me, right? So before I sign on a dollar line, are they providing the educational tools that would help build my business acumen so that I can make a tangible decision on who should represent me in the financial space? And so I think we a lot of times, especially with athletes, it's the adverse effect is where they, we sign with a guy and then we try to find out all these things where it's we should reverse that process to where we should get tangible things prior to meaning educational tools. What is that person's investment strategy? And not only from a short-term standpoint, but from a long-term standpoint, what is that individual advisor? What is he invested in? What's important to him? What is his risk tolerance overall? Because a lot of times his risk tolerance may be different than yours. And I think that overall being with a reputable firm, I think that's very key. I think being with um, not so much chasing who that advisor has, because I think that's another policy in the game, is to where you know a lot of these advisors or agents will walk up and their first comment to the guy is, I have this person, this person, this person, this person, this person. And they name the top five wide receivers, average salary paid guys in the league. And for a rookie, I'm like, oh man, you're managing Larry Fitzgerald's money? Then wow, I feel honored to even have you yeah. talking to me because I'm an undrafted rookie. You know, I should I should be thanking you. It's like, no, it doesn't matter who he's managing, it matters how those portfolios are performing and how the relationship is. How has he helped that athlete or that that colleague educate himself? And so with myself being a former you know, with that, I wanna I think you're driving to a really important point if I can just interrupt you for a second. Um how I simplify what you're saying is something like Einstein said. He said, look, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, then you don't really understand it. And when you're dealing with uh, an advisor, I think, who is trying to talk, to talk to you in a way that like, oh, you can't understand this stuff. It's too, too much for you. Don't worry about it. Just go out there and play football. But I have this. And they're not willing to explain it and respect you enough where they can explain it to you where you can learn it. Because none of this stuff is, I won't say it's easy, but none of it, uh, none of it can't be learned. It can be learned. And it can be taught. And if you if you don't have somebody that's willing to teach you, that should be a warning sign. I think is what you're saying. A second, yep. And I want to get to is that you know how do you get people to not fall for the oh this is Merrill Lynch so going with an independent advisor is you don't you guys don't have it because I have to go with Merrill Lynch and a lot of times they don't give them the same scrutiny as they might give you know a Michael or a Tune Day. Talk about the you know how hard we can be on ourselves, particularly I'm talking to, I'm talking about black athletes now too. How we need to just make sure we're being equal in our tr- in our treatment and how we evaluate who advises us. Yeah, because it's a huge thing where you know we all have fell for one in one stage or another. To where unfortunately, the overall perception of African Americans in the professional sports space is frowned upon. And so, if, if, if when we walk in a room and we see five individuals, that's buying for our business and one of those individuals are black, we immediately put up our guard to that black guy because we're like, he comes from the same cloth as us and we're, we look at them as hustlers, especially if they're young guys. That was one of the things yeah. that I faced very early in my financial career being young, being the same age as guys, is that they looked at me as, as, as a hustler. Even though I came from an accredited institution, I had all of my certifications, right? They still kind of had their guard up for me because unfortunately of the color of my skin 
And it's just a, a, a thing that, as you well know, just going back to test of time, it's just been yep. something that we have struggled. How'd you work to overcome that? Because you obviously um, had success. Right. And, and, and that's the thing to where with myself, you know, going back to when I was 23 years old and, and out on the, the, the market of, of recruiting guys, one of the biggest things that I initially did for my guys was to build that trust. I taught them with no fees. Right. So I told them, hey, send me your stuff or I'll get on calls with them for people that was pitching them. And I would really break it down. And I was able to articulate myself to the athlete and I would educate my I would educate them not from where I want them to be currently, but from where they are. Right. So I would really peel it down. I would and I would really articulate it to where they understood exactly the scenario. They were able to be extremely diligent in their conversation and their understanding. So you provided value before you got money, which is something people don't, I think people think you go into it like everything. And of course you gotta make money, but people don't realize the way to get there is to add value first, build trust. Then, then you get value back once you've given it. Yeah, absolutely. Because for me, I, I really wanted to build and, and still am building long-term relationships. And for us to grow, I used to tell my, my guys all the time, for us to grow as a firm, we need you guys to grow individually from your business acumen, from your understanding. I want to continue to evolve and grow our conversation because that helps us get into bigger and better deals because our acumen matches the yep. deals that's being pitched to us. So, so that's this moment, too. I think if you bring it back to the moment we're in right now, I want Tunde. I know Tunde has some questions, too. Um, and this is this is Tunde's philosophy, too, because I work with him. He's about building the relationships, building the value. Where some people think the only way to do it is you get a transaction. The only way I'm going to deal with this person is, is I have to get paid right now. And you know what? That's such short-term thinking. Um, understanding that right now, a lot of people don't have money in the coronavirus world. Like, this is people that have money uh, don't have it. People that have some money are figuring out how to hold on to what they have. So if you can figure out a way to be strategic and be long-term and hold on long enough, uh, to provide value while not trying to get an immediate return. I know this is hard in some people's world if you have to, if you have immediate needs right now. But I think yeah, if you primal, can, build towards the value. It's in situations right now as well because th these times is where the relationship kicks in, right? Because you have to pivot. You have to figure it out, right? And so at these times, I could, I could almost promise you, you have a lot of advisors who have these guys in, in heavy, you know, fee-based, low, uh, accounts that they've been paid up front, right? Yep. And now, because they've already gotten their money out of these athletes, they're letting those, those accounts get down to a margins call. They're calling these guys, hey man, unfortunately the market is down 30%, but guess what, your account is only down 21%. They're not explaining why it's down. They're just like, hey, but unfortunately we had a margins call, we need for you to um, wire transfer 100K to stay you know, in this private wealth group. If not, then we'll just convert your account to the smaller group and they're kicking guys out and they're not they don't have a relationship with those guys they're not pivoting they're not like hey guys the market is doing this let me sit down and reassess where you are and pivot and then most importantly which is another thing i did for my guys and we were still doing with axel is i found other means of revenue for these guys i helped them get endorsement deals i helped them yeah. get you know, diversification. Well, no people that so understand your value because in the black community in particular, I've said this before, you know, money flows through us often. Like there's a lot of money being generated from us, but it's not coming to us. And it's time for us to understand our value. So I'm glad you're looking at it that way. 
and the people like you, you make sure that they understand their value up front because you're you're a very uh, valuable commodity. I don't like to say it that way, but you are in some ways. But recognize that value and what you can bring, and that you can do a lot more than just transfer money to other people. You can actually build opportunities for not only your community but your family. Uh, Tune Day, did you have some other questions you wanted to get? Yeah, just um, this is great, Mike. Again, I appreciate you joining us. Um, so like I've got a I've got a sheet full of notes here to keep writing stuff as as you guys are talking. Um, but one of the things I wrote down here is cash is king. Going back mm -hmm. to your comment about um, you know, because I think it's it's in obviously the the universe of professional athletes compared to the the non athletes in our society is extremely small. So I think this the statement I'm going to make I would include young professionals that are doing pretty well at a young age. So I would say, you know, whether you're an athlete that has, you know, a million dollar contract at 22, 23 years old, or maybe you're a professional in corporate America that's 25 years old, already making, you know, a couple hundred thousand a year or, or late twenties. Um, there's nothing wrong with being in cash. Nope. Um, you know, a lot of people always can try and say, oh, just because you're young, you should be buying stocks and all that. But to Michael's point, um, if you're uncomfortable with watching your money swing around or, or having losses, I've always found that if people understand what they own and they understand the system with which their money's in, like how the markets work, they're more comfortable to leave it alone when things fluctuate so that they actually can make money long term versus being the average investor, kind of retail investor, which is instead of buy low, sell high, which we all hear, and most people emotionally they buy at the top and they sell at the bottom. And so I would rather tell a young athlete, just sit in cash till you're 30. Yep. Keep learning, keep learning how things work, the markets. And then to your point, Michael, like the market isn't the only place where people should be anyway. I mean, you might, I know a lot of people that are wealthy that never touch stocks. They've owned businesses, they've owned real estate. Yeah. Things. So when you're looking at true financial planning and wealth management and all this, it's, it's not just talking about the stock market. And I think from someone that's in our industry, I feel like the stock market gets way too much attention. Um, obviously, Wall Street is a very dominant sector in our economy. So, you know, they, they want us to all feed the beast in a sense. But there's other areas in life that folks should be looking at. And, um, and also, I, I feel like your experience is um, partly what made you better as well. Right. Like your experience in real estate in 2008 with the crash, you know, you had eight properties, you know, and, but after that, you didn't have eight properties after the crash, you know, all that. And that's where I sometimes also try and tell young people, not just athletes, but anybody younger is just like when we learn how to walk as babies, everybody fell at some point. And if you never try to walk again, we'd all be riding in strollers. So yep. the idea is that you're going to lose money in some endeavor at some point when you make an investment, period. Even Warren Buffett still loses money. Correct. So let's just, I feel like it's like- It's about the level of comfort of how much you're willing to lose exactly. and not can lose. But part of that, what I've learned with my own life experience, part of that learning your own comfort level comes with learning how to, that, you know, learning the Living. pain of a loss. So that you <laughs> yeah. know if you like this or not type of thing. Yeah, so, it's true. So and one thing I add that I tell guys all the time is, when you become a professional athlete, man, you 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 are one percent of the one percent. You you've done something that very few have done. You've hit the lotto for the most part, right? Even if you haven't made seven figures, you know, I tell my guys this all the time that's playing for the league minimum that's still mid to you know upper six figures. 
that you you are at a competitive advantage to your colleagues that just graduated last year, right? right? And so if you've hit the lotto, you don't, most people don't hit the lotto twice, right? And a lot of times athletes ex expedite the process of going from an accredited investor to a, a mogul, right? And they're like, and I'm like, hey guys, there's a lot of layers that you have to, levels that you have to go up to to become that business mogul that you're reading about, the Warren Buffetts, the, the Jay-Z's, the Sean Combs's, the Robert Greens, the you know, Robert Smith's, like, you know, stuff like that to where, like two days point to, excuse me. And they're not even, uh, to point. that point, they're not even the person, I don't think, just to interrupt you, I want to go to that point. I don't think, I don't think you, Robert Smith is great, but like 99.99% .99 of us, including athletes, aren't going to be him. But but you can you can be in a secure position, hold cash, and make sure you're financially stable. Lots of people can reach that point, but thinking that you can try to chase chase, chase somebody who's a multi-billionaire is I'm not saying you don't aspire to that, but be practical. But you have to get into the the mindset of an athlete. Yeah, that's true. In, in my mind, because I've somebody said, Hey, you would never be on the field with Deion Sanders. That's true. Yeah. And, and I then did one it. day I was on the field with Deion Sanders. And I'm like, you know what I mean? So from an athlete standpoint, when they hear that, they're like, nah, I I've, I've achieved this dream. I want to be able to Which makes sense, this. which which is and, some some of that is positive, but you you may right, I like it. I like the way you said it. You're not gonna hit the lottery twice. So be also figure out how to get there. Yeah, and so therefore I just think that you have to have a just like you had a plan you. to get to the league, you have to work hard, you have to do be uh, train hard and everybody else. It was players. Absolutely. It was layers. And so you have to have a team around you that you trust that can walk you through each phase of your life and understand that there's going to be silos and there's going to be troughs throughout that time period that you're going to have to function through. And so just don't pick back to your question earlier of how do you select a financial advisor? Just don't pick a firm or individual that has all the bells and whistles, and especially when things are positive. You really want to pick someone that matches and mirrors your personality traits and, and, and mm. your investment palette, not only for the short term, but like I said, not making a four-year decision, but a 40-year decision. Yeah, I'd say like, you know, develop your relationships or who advises you. And it sounds like develop other relationships to help you uh, gain wealth, but develop the relationships first, right? I mean, like that's what, and this is the opportunity at this moment right now. It's, you, you can develop relationships, seek to add value, not to just take. And I think people think you just come and you just take. And no, you got to develop, you have to actually develop the relationships, work with people, get to know them, understand them uh, before you seek to take something from them. I tell this to people all the time, too. Uh, I've been in politics and, you know, I, I had to raise a lot of money when I was running. And people ask me, uh, what's, the, what's your first time running? How did you raise all that money? I said, very simply, I said, I spent my entire career building relationships. That's how. Without ever asking people for things, doing stuff for them, asking. And then generally when it came time, it wasn't a hard sell because they're like, look, we know Rob's been out there working hard, doing stuff. And I know I can depend on them because they, I, I, I didn't ask for things before. I just did them not seeking an immediate return. So Tunde, did you have uh, some points you want? I know you had some questions. No, this is great. Um, nothing, nothing to add. I know we got to wrap up. Um, Mike, I want to thank you, though. And, and it's also just to say here, you know, Mike's been um, uh, we've asked Michael to come on board with our firm and consult with us from the angle of concierge and certain services due to his experience, both when when he had his own practice as a certified financial planner and then his own business with Privé Society. Um, so uh, I don't know if you want to do a quick 
mention of that, Michael, but I want to thank you again for, for your Before time. you do that, I want to have a couple questions and just get to that at the, at the very end. Just, just talk about what you do and where you do it. Uh, but before you do that, I have just a couple of high level like uh, questions I ask typical people that come on this show that I want to ask you. Um, if you had a uh, billboard or Google ad that, that stated what you believed in your philosophy in life, what would that say and why? I would say be a star, not a flashlight. And, and let, let me give that depth. You know, when you become an athlete, you have this amazing talent, right? And you extend through life very fast and, and, and everyone's looking at you. you you're, a, you're a shining object. And then your talent gets taken away. One day you get cut, you get released, you get hurt. And now no one looks at you anymore. And you're still searching for that feeling that you had when you were that shiny uh, object. And my coach told me that when I was very young of Michael, be a star, not a flashlight. A star shines forever. And you, you, you really put into the universe and into your approach of becoming something that is of excellence, but from a consistent perspective, meaning you use your athletic talent to get you in places that your mind can carry you to become a star. And so that, 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 that's one of the biggest things that I, to this day, drive myself with is to say, Michael, no matter where your talent has gotten you up to this point, figure out how you can ascend to the next level. How can you yeah. continuously push yourself to be a star that someone that not only created generational wealth for yourself, but for your family and your community? How do you pivot from that when you're an athlete, you're used to being in the arena, having fans scream your name, then to that not... So you don't have that external trigger anymore of saying, Michael, Michael, Michael. How do you do that when, when you don't hear fans screaming, you're not in the arena, you don't have that anymore? Because that's sometimes a drive to do that too for people. Yeah, you have to sit down and be honest with yourself. And, the, and there are some amazing stories of individuals that sat down and really was honest with themselves as far as figuring out where your talents really are outside of physical. How can you become still an impact that has people still screaming your names? Because there's still ways to have people screaming your names. Obviously, it's not 80,000 and 90,000 that we're used to, but you can still have, you look at the Michael Strahan's, look at the Magic Johnson's, LeBron James. I'm not talking about on the field, the Junior, junior Bridgman's. You know, you have some athletes out there that have been able to become amazingly successful, the Michael Jordans of the world, the Kobe Bryant's, like I mentioned earlier, to where you are so talented as an athlete from a mental standpoint, you just have to sit down and tap into what those talents are. And I think that and if you're, you're not able, an athlete, you tap into what those talents are. Athletics is just one example of the many, right? Exactly. But if you sit down and you really be, become honest with yourself and figure out where your passions are, figure out where you can make immediate impact, and then also tap into all the important characteristics of an athlete like hard work dedication sacrifice that's that's the yeah. field that takes that jet to the next level right but you first have to sit down and figure out what you're passionate in and how you can make an impact in that field and i know we got to get ready to wrap because we have an another one right after this but i will just say this that it's when i think about what you said i think of it as two figure out what you're passionate about and what your skill set is too Absolutely. and figure out where the two align because uh, I believe in, I believe going big there. This is an area that I don't believe in diversification. It's an area where your go where your strengths and where your passion is. Uh, but you have to also be predisposed to this. Like if you if your passion is all to be an NFL player and you're you're five five 
probably not going to work, right? But like, <laughs> but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you can't be in sports and understand from ec from economics, and you could be an analyst for the sports. Like, figure out what your passion is and align it there, and then you got to have some basic foundation. Like, listen, you have to do some things you don't like. If you tell me that you don't like math and you want to be rich, you're going to have a problem, likely, because you have to at least understand some. You don't have to be a, a genius, but you got to understand the basics and want to do some critical analysis. So pouring the foundation and then making sure you focus on those strengths, the things you're passionate about and that you're predisposed to, I think is the way we can go because all of us aren't going to be athletes and even the ones that are athletes are not going to stay athletes. Uh, so there's a lot of ways to be successful out there, to, to break the narrative, to break down these constructs. Because I, I want to disrupt the patterns that I'm seeing. Black wealth is generated to go to zero by 2053 according to the trends. I don't accept that. Michael, thank you for your work in, in preventing that. Tune Day, thank you for what you do. Uh, tell them where they can reach out and learn more about you. We'll also put it in the in the notes as well if you guys send it to me. Sure. So I'll go first. So um, I can be reached. Tune Day mentioned it before. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Preve Society. We're a high-end lifestyle management and concierge company that services not only high net worth individuals, but corporations as well. Um, we have a website, freebasesociety.com, but then also I am a general partner with Axel Financial Group, in which I run their sports and entertainment. Michael, I appreciate your time, brother.